0: In just a moment, I'm going to be reading out of the Gospel of Matthew. If you want to get your Bible, your New Testament, we'll be in the seventh chapter, Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and while you're looking that up, I just want to take a moment to say a word of appreciation. Uh, if you'd been down the hall or in the nurseries this morning, you might have noticed a little new carpeting, huh? Did you see that? It looks good. We had uh, somewhere between 15 and 20 volunteers this week uh, on their hands and knees, uh, getting all that laid and, and trimmed up, and I really appreciate that. And then we had um, Mark and Dorothy Klingensmith and Jerry and Judy Chambers and Dana Hudson that were like crazy active here every day, multiple hours, and so just special word of appreciation to those guys, too. But... Uh, we're getting there. We're almost uh, completed with all the things that were about phase two. There's just a little bit left. Appreciate your continued efforts to uh, make this place as usable as uh, we envision. Uh, let's again ask the Lord uh, to do something that uh, allows us to hear him well. All right, let's pray. So, Father, would you give us ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts to that are responsive. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for eight years now, one of the top-rated television shows, top-rated of all time, is this little thing called American Idol. How many of you watch American Idol? And you're not ashamed to... Okay, very good. Uh, unbelievable. Tens of millions tune in every week to see uh, you know, kids trying to put their best foot forward and and see who might be the next rising star, and and, and some have become stars out of this whole process through the years, and that's certainly one of the reasons why it's so popular and why so many people tune in. Uh, One of the other reasons why I think some people tune in is because of one of the judges by the name of Simon Cowell, Uh, right in the center there if you don't watch the show. He uh, has a way of not just judging the talent, and that's what he's there for, that we have you know, the judges that are saying, here's how you can improve. Here's where uh, you were a little weak in their performance and so on. But he kind of takes it to another degree, doesn't he? He not only says uh, this could get better, but that was awful. That was dreadful. That was like the worst thing I ever heard in my life and other such descriptors. And a lot of the times uh, the crowd will begin to boo and hiss and give him a hard time, which I think he loves. He's a pretty sadistic kind of guy. And uh, the other panelists will sometimes even disagree with him and go, "Oh, Simon, that was too harsh. That was that was just over the edge, right?" Well, on one occasion, Simon stepped over a line so far that Randy Jackson, one of the other judges, actually stood up and challenged Simon to a fight. How many of you guys have seen that episode? They replay it every now and then. Just a couple of you. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing moment because uh, some guy does his performance and it's pretty bad. And uh, Simon can't just say it's pretty bad. See ya, He has to go on about how dreadful, how awful and how this is the worst thing ever and so on like that. And then he goes on to say, and that's why you're a loser. Oh, I got you too. <laughs> and so when Randy heard that. Randy goes, Simon, you can't say that. And Simon says, I bloody will kind of say that if I want to. And Randy goes, no, man, you can't say that. And he goes, I can say anything I want to. And at that, Randy gets up and he goes, well, then come on, dog. I'll take you right now. And he does this whole macho, I'm going to pummel your face kind of moment. And uh, Simon, you know, tries to say, we'll take it off the air and talk about it later. But what happened in that moment was that American Idol judge, Simon Cowell, went from judging to being judgmental. There is a huge difference between those two things. Uh, Everybody that becomes a contestant on the television show is up for judging, They know what they've signed up for. They know that they're going to get some critique and some criticism and some uh, feedback that might be hard to hear. They've signed up for that. But once you go past a line and you become judgmental, that is to say condemning, uh, nobody signs up for that. In other words, Simon takes uh, a person's appearance and a person's performance And kind of some of their mannerisms and quirks and things like that. And he does a leap to a whole life kind of assessment and says, you're a loser. And that's judgmental. And uh, not only do we not like that, I mean, that's one of the things our culture gets riled up about more than anything else in my observation these days. Not only do we not like that, Jesus didn't either. And so what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks is we're going to be in a section of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus' teaching especially lends itself to what we would call wisdom. It is a uh, peculiarly divine perspective on a number of issues from which we're going to be able to draw wisdom. In uh, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is going to address this whole matter of Judgment and judgmentalism. And uh, let's get into the text because the background is that Jesus has been contending with some Pharisees and some other religious leaders and they have been judgmental of him. And they have. You know, we don't like the way he's presenting the kingdom of God, and we don't like it that he's not holding up the same behaviors that we esteem as most important. He's kind of letting people off the hook about all of this. He must be a sinner himself. He must be uh, a son of the devil. He must be, and they had all these conclusions that they had leaped to because of some false assessments of who Jesus was and what he had been doing. So picking it up in uh, chapter 7... Jesus then says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take that speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now keep your Bible open, because we're going to keep making reference to some of the things that uh, Jesus is saying here in these verses. But uh, right out of the gate, he says, Don't judge lest you be judged and with the same measure that you're measuring it out. Now, the word there for judge, crino, uh, has this kind of connotation. uh, Don't condemn. And so what he is actually saying is don't be judgmental. Don't be condemning toward other people. Because if you do, judgmentalism and condemnation will be coming your way. And it will come in the same measure that you were measuring it out yourself. So that's the kind of statement that he's trying to make. And when he gets ready to illustrate it, he does so by telling a joke. Well, maybe not so much a joke as much as he was using humor. There are a few times in which Jesus uses humor. And this particular piece of humor comes right out of the carpenter's workshop, right? And so he says, how could you say to someone that has a little speck of sawdust in their eye, you need to get that out of your eye, when in fact you've got a beam, you've got a log protruding from your own eye. He goes, first, get the beam out of your eye, and then you'll be able to see and help your friend who's got the speck of sawdust in in his eye. And he calls them, when he says that, he says, you hypocrite. Now, that word hypocrite is an ancient word that simply means actor, someone who is pretending to be something that they are not. So why would you pretend, why would you put on this act of your own righteousness and then put everybody else down for their lack of righteousness? Take care of your own character defects before you start messing with the character defects of other people. That's what he's getting at. So let's begin to unpack that whole matter of judgment and judgmentalism from the wisdom that Jesus brings to this picture. And the first that we see in verses 3 and 4 is what I just call judgmental junk. This is the stuff that Jesus is saying, get rid of this. Get this out of your life. It's got no place in the life of somebody that's going to follow after God. And basically, it's that idea that I will... Uh, address my own inferiority by putting someone else down. I'll lift myself up as I put someone else down. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were addressing their own stuff by putting you down and therefore elevating themselves. And he says, don't do that. That's a faulty way to deal with your inferiority, uh, not to mention it's very unkind and unfair and unloving to other people. So uh, you've known these people, Right. We are these people, right? Sometimes we see somebody that uh, is obese and we immediately, judgmentally, conclude they're lazy. Sometimes we see somebody that is extremely thin and we leap to a conclusion, they must be anorexic. Sometimes we see this or that and we leap to these conclusions. And by so doing, we have uh, demoted them in our thinking ...and elevated ourselves, and it's been a quick little transaction that many times happens subconsciously. We don't even know we're doing it. So that's one of the things that's up with judgmental junk. The other thing is uh, we sometimes are kind of projecting our own self-condemnation. I I have a friend who was confessional with me one time when he said, You know, I, I used to have this quick temper response... To people that would swear. And when I would hear some profanity, I would just leap on them and jump down their throat. And, you know, how dare you talk like that in front of me and so on like that. And he said, but you know what happened? One day I had some kind of troubling thing going on. And in the midst of, you know, me getting kind of stirred up and anxious about all that, I, I heard myself swearing. I was doing it under my breath. I never let it really get out loud like that but i would you know kind of thing and what he began to understand and he was sharing with me is that one of the reasons why it just pushed his buttons when when somebody else would swear out loud is because he was so self-condemning about himself not having a better handle on the uh, profanity and the swearing issue in his own life and so it was this projected kind of self-condemnation Uh, This is exactly what was going on several years ago when a rather famous televangelist was uh, caught uh, soliciting prostitution and making use of pornography and things like that. And when people began to look at what's been been going on in this life that, you know, he had had this big blowout all of a sudden. And as they began to look at the recent months, particularly of his preaching they noticed that there had been an increase in his railing against immorality and railing against adultery and railing against the use of porn and all this kind of stuff. And basically what you saw happening, you know, before millions of people on televised broadcasts, was he was railing on himself and projecting these kinds of things on other people. So when we got that judgmental junk going on in our own lives, a lot of the times, it's our faulty way of trying to deal with our own sense of inferiority. And then other times, it's when we're just kind of projecting our own self-condemnation. In either case, it's, it's junk. It's stuff that we can't uh, allow to stay the way that it is. Uh, which leads me to say in the second place, there is a place for judging rightly. See, Jesus is not teaching, never judge. Because there is an altogether appropriate time, place, and way to judge. He's saying, don't let it go over a line where it becomes judgmentalism. Now, notice what he says in the text. He says, how can you talk about a speck of sawdust in somebody else's eye when you've got this beam hanging out of your own? First, get the beam out of your eye. Then, you can help your friend address the speck that's in his eye. So it's not like you're wrong to ever call attention to a character defect in someone else's life. It's that you do it with humility. You don't do it in hypocrisy. You don't do it like you've got your act all together. And you do it in a way where you're also working on your own stuff at the same time. So here's the deal. God actually gave us safe, trusted relationships with others that can help refine and shape and sharpen our lives so that we can become all that God dreamed we would become before we were even born. We call those safe, trusted, loving relationships church Yeah, well, not the church I've been a part of. No, I understand. Some of the worst settings for judgmentalism that I've ever seen in the world were in churches. So we'll own up real quickly that a lot of churches fail, miss the mark, uh, fall short of what God's looking to have happen within that community of faith. Uh, That's one of the things that uh, my mother has to own that. But that kind of judgmentalism kept her out of the church for 20 years as a single, divorced mom. You know, every week when she came in, she absolutely felt condemned about her state in life. So I get that. I understand that. But we've been working really, really hard here for this to be a place that can be safe Where trusted, loving relationships can be developed. And in that context, we can do life with one another in ways that sharpen one another, refine one another, uh, bless one another to become all that we can become in Christ. Now, this is exactly the kind of thing that Paul was addressing in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when he said in verse 12, "...for what have I to do with judging outsiders?" He's just gone through this litany of problems and sins that were going on outside of the church. And it's like, God has to handle all that. That's, that's outside of you know, where we are. But is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? See, within this context of committed, in a covenant with one another, highly trusting and loving relationships... We do this check-in with each other. We have open lives. We speak into each other's lives in that kind of way. This is also what Paul was getting at in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He said, brothers, if any of you are caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In other words, you've got to be really humble about that kind of thing. You've got to be working on your own stuff as God's using you. To address the stuff that's going on in other people's lives. So here's how that plays out. See, we are passionate about becoming like Jesus Christ. We not only want to know Him, we want in that relationship to become like Him, loving like Him, joyful like Him, full of peace like Him, patience like Him, etc. And so Part of the way that that God does that work in us is by sharpening us with one another. This is why small groups are such a big deal around here. Because that's especially the context in which your life rubs up against the lives of others. And it has this, this shaping and transforming effect upon us. And so, because we have this kind of passion, we have this kind of heart and desire to see God do this in us, we invite That's why I'm a member of this church. I invite you to speak into my life. And uh, through the years you have. And so if I'm not loving my family very well, if I'm in a little season where I'm all tweaked out about whatever and and I'm not mindful of them and I'm not careful with them and I'm not loving of them and so on, then I hope you'll say, Scott, what's up with you at home? Is that going all right? And check in with me about that. I'm like, well, it might be a little bit difficult. Why? Why are you bringing that up? Well, I just saw you really speak harshly to Sherry the other day. (laughs) Speak that into my life. Now, occasionally, we we get a little tweaked around here about our work lives, right? We we work a little too much. We work a little too hard. It becomes a little too important. and, And sometimes it's like on the borderline of being like an idol to us. And so... Uh, because we care about each other, we might bring that up in conversation. So, so Billy, how's the work thing going for you right now? Oh, man, it's this, it's that. I'm getting after him, you know what. So that's still all happening for you in a God-honoring kind of way. Oh, well, uh, and you know, you have that kind of gentle, loving, brotherly, sisterly kind of confrontation going on. That helps me stay on the path. That helps me stay uh, on the way that that Christ is changing my life. That's the intention of what God wants to do with the church. And so when Jesus says, uh, let me say a word to you about judging. He basically is saying, bad idea to be judgmental, condemning, putting people down good idea to be judging in the sense of consulting, considering, evaluating, assessing. And there is a huge difference between those two things. One brings death with it. The other brings life with it. And you go, well, uh, I think I'm getting what you're talking about. It sounds like it just might be a good idea for that to be true in all of my relationships. And Jesus says, uh, not so good an idea. And that's when he talks about dogs and hogs. Now, uh, in that sixth verse, he says, why? You don't give what's holy to the dogs. And if you're not familiar with ancient Jewish idioms, you think Jesus just slammed everybody. Right? Boy, there was a big foot down but I'll take you back to Randy Jackson with American Idol, okay? It's one of his favorite phrases when he's giving an evaluation to somebody that's just performed. He's like, yo, dog, Uh, not really that hot tonight, uh, but you know I'm a fan of yours, and yo, dog, you'll do better next week, that kind of thing, right? For Randy, that's become a term of endearment. A lot of people can mean different things with, you know, the same kind of phrase. And in the ancient Jewish idiom, when somebody would talk about dogs, they'd be talking about those who are outside of the faith. And those who don't get what God's up to inside the faith. And when he said, don't give things that are holy, that's referring to the foods in the temple that had been consecrated uh, for the priest and the temple attendants. And so basically he's saying, you don't give what's been consecrated to non-consecrated people. They won't get it. They won't, they won't be able to take it for what it is. And you don't cast your pearls before the hogs, before the pigs. Now, again, any time we use the word pig around here, we pretty much mean it as a term of derision. But in that day, it was just another way of saying that person's unclean meaning outside of the faith. And, uh, you know, what... Appreciation Do they have of pearls? They don't. They just trample them underfoot. And so basically Jesus is saying those that are outside the faith, they're just not going to get it. What you're up to if you began to speak loving confrontations into their life. If you challenge them about how their marriage is going or about, how they're keeping their work in perspective or whatever. They're, they're just going to hear it as judgmentalism. They're just going to hear it as you condemning them. They're just going to hear it as you putting them down. And so, don't even go there. Now, let me wrap it up with this. All that to say, you know, Jesus is making the case, don't be judgmental, but do engage in careful judging and consulting and and working with each other in the pursuit of Christlikeness. All that happens within the community of faith. But keep in mind, there is a day coming that Jesus will be the judge over everyone that's ever drawn a breath. And so as we're trying to get an improper perspective about how we engage with the whole experience called judging, I think we have to keep it in mind That happens on a whole other level with one who owns the right and perquisites to engage it, and that's Jesus. And what the Scriptures teach us is that there will come a day where, like a shepherd, Jesus will separate sheep from goats. And all the sheep will go to one side and all the goats will go to another side. Meaning, all those who had become Christ followers, all those who had become a part of his faith community, will be on one side. And all those who had not become a part of his faith community, all those who had not followed him, will be on the other side. That's the first judgment. The separating of sheep from goats. The sheep get to be with Jesus forever. The goats get to be without Jesus forever. Forever. That's one judgment. Then he says there's a second judgment. Then Jesus will judge every deed and act that we ever did. And for those that are in the sheep category and are going to spend forever with Jesus, in ratio to your deeds, there will be rewards. For those that chose not to follow Christ, not to have life in Christ, and now are going to spend... Forever without Christ, there will be in ratio to their deeds, retribution, penalties and prices to pay. And so friends, this is one of the reasons why we invite one another to judge us, to consider, to consult, to challenge, to affirm, to bless. Because we want to do this one and only life we have well. We want to do it in such a way that Christ is thoroughly formed in us. We want to do it in such a way that on the judgment day, we're prepared. And that that is a good day. And not an awful day. So, let me ask you. Have you repented? Have you actually said, I think Jesus is it. I, I, I know I need to follow Him. I know I need to give my heart and life to Him. I'm going to do it. Friends, that's not a default thing that just kind of happens by you drifting around. That's a volitional engagement of your life with Christ. Where He is your Lord and you follow Him with a whole heart. Has that happened for you? If some you know, activity of God took place this coming week so that we all are ushered into that final throne room, judgment room, are you prepared for that? It's a gracious, loving God that would take a moment in a service like this to ask you that question, to help you settle that issue. If you said, "Well, Scott, I, I want to settle that. I, I know I want to take that step," then I draw your attention to that connection card on the back side where it says, "I want to have a relationship with Jesus." If you'll check that, I'll follow up with you about that. Well, let me ask you. Secondly, are you engaged? In healthy relationships that bring affirmation and correction to your life. Now friends, this is a great place to be. And it's a highlight and a priority for me every week to, to be with you at 11 o'clock in this place to worship. But there's not a whole lot of life work that we end up doing in this room Sunday to Sunday. Sunday. A lot of that will happen more in your small group. And you go, well, I just haven't made time for that. Friends, you just have to make time. Something else has to go. It is the means that Jesus has designed for our lives to sharpen other lives and their lives to sharpen us. It matters. Are you engaged in healthy relationships? Now, again, I know what the other picture is. And we will always be working as hard as we know how to work in the power of Christ for this to be a healthy place. It's a never-ending process. And then, would you repeat one bit of good news? Something that Jesus has been dealing with your heart about, some, some aspect of how he's at work in you or can be at work in other people's Would you repeat one bit of good news? About Jesus to one other person this week. People literally are dying to know. Let's pray. Father, thank you for graciously, lovingly speaking into our lives today. Speaking wisdom into our hearts. And we pray that by your power, by your grace, uh, we'll be able to move forward in your will and in your way. Honoring you and having Christ better formed in us. We pray in his name. Amen.